Fans and welcome to a special episode of Let Me Tell You Something. Um, special is not really the right word to use, but it's um, I guess it's an out of continuity tribute episode that we're doing because uh, a couple of days after record after our last episode went out, uh, we, by the way, uh, Lorcan Mullenham, my co-host. Simon Cross. We discussed planning to do uh, our second part of our Monday Night Wars brainstorming session. That was originally what was supposed to be this episode. But obviously, as we're all aware, the tragic passing of uh, John Huber, uh, better known as Brody Lee in AEW and the independent scene, and in the WWE as Luke Harper, uh, really knocked everything for six. And we just thought... What's the best way that we can make any kind of um, contribution to honouring his memory in any teeny tiny way? And so what we decided to do, like I say, is a sort of an out of continuity match of the week discussion. We're not following any of the rules, can't do a match from five matches, from from a promotion Mm. for less than five matches and so on and so forth. Uh, Simon, we thought we just, I think it's just, this is the match I... Of, of any match from the WWE for the past decade, I would say I don't. I, I best is you know it's not a word that you can really apply to art truly, but you can, but you can say favorites with an honesty that's true to you. And this may very well be my favorite WWE match of the past ten years. And so I thought uh, it could be a good way to just talk about uh, John Hubert as a performer. And as part of a greater storyline, maybe for some this will be the best thing that he was ever a part of in his unfortunately shortened career. Uh, what match are we discussing, Simon? Uh, we're discussing the Shield versus the Wyatt's family at t- Elimination Chamber 2014. So this had always been the match that I'd intended to do at some point for obviously you would have hoped much happier reasons. So there is going to be sort of a dark Paul over this match. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll talk about it again in in a few years down the line. Because I would say out of all the matches from the WWE, like I said, this is maybe my favorite of the past decade, and it's probably the only one that I go back to and watch with anything close to regularity. I think when I watched it tonight, this may have been the fifth or sixth time I've watched it since it first happened in February of two thousand fourteen. Uh, is it a match that holds a, a similar place with you, Simon, or is it not as instantaneous? WrestleMania 30 and the following year was sort of like the golden era of my wrestling viewing um, as a young adult, uh, teenager, well, more a young adult, purely because all of my friends who were wrestling fans were around. Uh, the pub uh, did monthly pay-per-view watching, watching parties, so there was I watched every pay-per-view around like like-minded fans. And the Shield were like one of the hottest things going. You you couldn't take your eyes off of them mm. and what what they were doing. And the Wyatt and Bray Wyatt and the Wyatt family were equally like they they were on the up as well. And I I watched the pre match package as part of um, refreshing my mind for for this uh, episode. And I felt a sense of just charged energy 
going through the storyline, even though obviously I know exactly what happened. It just took me back in a way to like this rapid urge to like feel, just be part of it, see it live. I ha- you know, it's one of those things I couldn't imagine missing. And it was on an elimination chamber. <laughs> the most throwaway pay-per-view there is, um, quite possibly, when it's in February. Yeah, and weirdly, a month down the line, the Shield are involved in a squash match at that WrestleMania against the New Age Outlaws and Kane. And the Wyatt family, it's really the first bad bit of booking they've ever had to suffer through after this when they got fed to the Cena machine. So this is a, a frozen in amber time. Because I think I've said, we said in the 2010s in review episode that I think maybe The Shield is the best work that the WWE did consistently um, during that decade. Less so their comebacks, but that first <laughs> run, yeah. there was very little that they put a foot wrong with, really. They were never in anything that stupid. They were never made to look bad, but they never got to the point that they made everyone around them look worse. Whilst they whilst they were essentially had Daniel Bryan and Kane as part of Team Hell No were sort of fed to them in the first few months, it was Daniel Bryan working so well with them and the chemistry between them essentially leading to Daniel Bryan, you know, a month down the line from this event, becoming the world champ. They were fed in a sense, but Team Hell No, because they had that comedic element to them, was sort of feed-proof. Yeah. So it worked. Well, it also helps that you've got Kane, who can always be made to look invulnerable whenever needed to be booked that way, and it doesn't really feel that stupid. And you had Daniel Bryan, one of the best workers in the world, that already had that underdog nature with his size compared to the others, but he had so much ability that he was able to work within the... Realm and with Reigns, Rollins and Ambrose, they had three workers that could work with Daniel Bryan and could work with many other people. The Shield, obviously we need to talk more about. We're going to talk mostly about Huber and, and Harper for the most part in this, but we we just want to sort of lay some groundwork before we get it. And of course they were dealing with Ryback early doors as well, who was hot property when they engaged with him. And because they needed to make the Shield look good, it ultimately came at the expense of Ryback. But really, as far as a long-term investment goes, they they backed the right horse in that <laughs> example. Yeah. And what the Wyatts were as well were fantastically presented as a pack again as a as a presentation. I think both the Shield and the Wyatts had such such well-defined characters and looks and relatable understandingness, and they just looked cool in completely different ways. And when WWE works best, it's when it's got these great defined, wild, like, different-looking characters, and the aesthetics are exciting, and then when you see them mesh together at different points, it makes for exciting new possibilities. When you finally saw Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior in the ring at the same time in the 1990 Royal Rumble... That was kind of what this was akin to, as crazy as that sounds. Because they'd been kept in separate orbits throughout pretty much the whole of their runs. But they were two, three-man units. So you knew at some point they were destined to collide with each other. And they were just smashing through falls. Yeah. And what was good as well is that the dynamics were different. It's kind of like how why the Marvel Cinematic Universe works so well. This is going to sound like a weird tangent, but it's because... You can take these characters from wildly disparate genres 
and you establish them within their own worlds, and then you put them together in the shared world, and you're excited to see where these guys work with each other. You're excited to see what happens when Tony Stark meets Stephen Strange for the first time. You're excited to see what happens when Star-Lord meets Thor. You're excited to see what happens when Black Widow meets Rocket Raccoon. <laughs> you, you get where I'm coming from. It's yeah, characters do, from a yeah. sci-fi movie and a spy thriller being put together in a different, you know, all within the superhero overworld. So essentially, it's like the shield is like taking characters from a badass HBO FX crime SWAT team thriller where they're like the black ops or something like that and then suddenly putting them in a a, a goth American gothic horror sh- story involving gays you know it's like getting characters from Deadwood meeting characters uh, from bad boys or something like that yeah and, I know what you mean and yeah. mashing them together and then Within the well is is that they're both two different groups within their own ideologies. The the shield, even though a lot of this match starts to really, really when you get the, it was always obvious that Roman Reigns was the one that they liked. But this was the point where they started to imply. I mean, Michael Cole out and out says it at one point when he gets tagged in. Some people call the leader of the shield, but it is three men working together for a common cause yeah. of the collective. They want to hold the belts together. And they'll they'll each hold a they'll each hold a belt and, and pose with it. Whereas with the Wyatt family, if Harper and Rowan were to win a belt, they would hand that belt to Bray Wyatt. I mean, Roman had just come off of his obviously Royal Rumble, his Survivor Series, and they they hammer that home. I'm fairly sure within the first ninety seconds. The Shield is about the Shield. The Wyatt family is about Bray Wyatt, and that's the story of the match. One of the cool little details I like about the Wyatts, and I, I didn't really notice it, or it hadn't really like occurred to me until you see them come out and you were always watching that pre-match package. Even though Bray's the shortest, he seems the most menacing and the most captivating. It's probably because he has the most weight behind him as well. He's a big lad, and it's not like he's small. Yeah. Bray White is probably six foot three. It's sort of having like those tall men who, on paper could like you know more than easily hold their own against this this it, it just amplifies how captivating he is well it's that moment in the royal rumble match when they both suddenly turn against wyatt's and wyatt's just like oh shit they've been deprogrammed yeah <laughs> but but wyatt ultimately has like i said he's got the weight he looks like a badass at times but he also um has the brains and the charisma so his his personality is more overwhelming of the two shield members as the two fellow mm. Wyatts. So to talk about Huber slash Harper slash Brody Lee, he was always really unique on the indie scene in that he was a guy with size. You look at how nearly every average guy on the indie scene was about five foot nine ish on average. So Brody Lee was a good seven, eight, nine inches taller than most people on most rosters. And he had a great bullying, angry look to him. It was always strange that he never really got as many bookings as he should have really. He didn't get he was working like Ring Crew for Ring of Honor for years without really getting any opportunities there. I remember listening to an interview he did for Talk is Jericho and he did like Ring Crew well into his late twenties, early thirties, wondering if it was ever gonna happen for him. Mm. Um and he was always a guy that everyone you know, the, the key thing that you've heard from everyone in the aftermath of this horrible 
event, tragic event, is how much of a good guy he was and how likeable he was. And you would think someone with that look and that size could have... I mean, he maybe was born out of time. The, the, the obvious comparison to him is Bruiser Brody, how much he looks like him. The intelligent... Which is made in this match as yeah. well. Yeah, the intelligent brawler with a wild look to him. The idea... They, they played up more with... It was actually Rowan that they played up as being secretly intelligent. But what I did like, actually, within... One thing I always liked with the, the classic Wyatt family setup was that there was a, a hierarchy. There was the sense that Luke Harper was the captain if it's Harper and Rowan. There's a moment yeah. towards the end when they've got Reigns in a three-on-one situation where Rowan's the first one that beats him up, then Harper comes in. And Harper... He doesn't order Rowan about by talking in his ear, whispering in his ear like Bray Wyatt was. He just sort of holds him by his head and pushes him towards the corner. So it's like it's this move that we're going to do. The running splash, yeah. You know, And it's not like it's Homer being left in charge of the bees. It's not like he's dumb. It's just that there's an eccentricity to him. Yeah. And there's, a set, there's an unpredictability to him. And at various points in this match, Harper does... Moves that you just don't expect from him. He does a drop kick at one point, I think, doesn't he? He does. Like one of his like first ones in the yeah. And o- thing. Obviously, in one of the last big spots of the match, uh, when it all breaks down into a brawl, is when he does a tope onto Ambrose. And there was always that unpredictability to Harper because, and I think that comes from the fact that he was, like I said, a man out of time, and he had to work in the indie scenes where everyone's five foot nine, and so he's having to bump and fly and and be a crash a landing mat and also you've got to get attention of an audience that's really into the high spots and not necessarily gonna get told a long story he doesn't get to do promos every week on a on a in a studio or whatever which you think would have been maybe his milieu that would be perfect for him like when you saw the uh great promo he did setting up the dog collar match with Cody. oh when he's frothing into the camera what kind of man lets his wife post thirst traps on Instagram and call <laughs> me daddy? So that was always the funny thing, and that was the thing that ultimately was, you know, it made him victim of Vince McMahon's madness, that Vince was furious at him for not having a southern yokel accent when he started talking. Because he grew yeah. up in New York, I think, or New Jersey. I think he couldn't do one. He couldn't either. do one. Yeah. And, and, you know, big... Bearded guys don't just come from down south or the Himalayan mountains. They can yeah. come. They can come from New Brunswick. And just because well. he's got a beard doesn't mean he is, by his nature, a redneck or a hillbilly. Or I loved. I was. Uh, it's. It's so. And obviously, it goes far beyond his career. Um, just how gutting it is to see someone. Um, lose their life at such a young age but he was just beginning to get going on tv as a singles guy as part of this match uh i thought it was going to be one of three wwe matches that uh we could possibly talk about luke harper in. this is the best um i cannot remember the name of the pay-per-view but they're two out of three falls match with the usos uh harper and rowan that is a really good match uh, and when he won the IC title off Ziggler, that's also like a really, really good ladder match. But they just never seemed to like. After that match, he went 0 and 12 with the title. He never won a match as yeah. IC champion in that run. And I, I just, for the life of me, don't get it because I was thought we were seeing on national television a show him showcasing his abilities and 
it was all there. It's just so frustrating. It's ultimately Vince that you have to blame for it. I think pretty yeah. much anyone else had Brody Lee in their in their roster, they treat him better. And I think it was also because the reason he was able to get as prominent a role in this still is that he could be a great supporting player, which again is something that's not easy for someone who's that big mm. to essentially take a role similar to the role that Masanobu Fushi takes in our All Japan six-man tag matches. Because I think I said when we recorded the one uh, about the April 91 six-man tag between Super Generation Army and Sarutagoon, that that is now my favourite six-man tag. And it sort of... The Fushi role is sort of more played by Rowan. It's not necessarily it? shithousery. I just mean that you're not the focal point yeah. of the match. But yeah. you do what is expected of you. You look good, you make others look good, and you are very entertaining in True. your role. Without stealing the show necessarily, but in terms of peak, in terms of shit that's the, that's the Rowan role in this match, definitely. Well, as far as someone who's just it depends what what we're defining by shit because really the one that's the annoyance, the one that's the annoyance in the match is Dean Ambrose. Yeah, insofar as he's the one that's not on, is not mentally set, at the, and it's from the moment the match starts when they're staring each other down, and it's Ambrose that cracks in the stare down. And mm. Wyatt's in it. Oh, Wyatt knows I've got him. I've got you automatically. And essentially, the match is lost there. Really. But, um... And that is the story. There's very rarely any points where Ambrose is anything other than a hindrance to the team. Really. Mm. Uh, he's the first one that gets isolated and beaten on for a while. When he comes in to save Seth Rollins at one point during his beatdown, Harper just comes in and boots him out of the ring. <laughs> just absolutely bodies him. That's the other thing that was so, so good about Brody Harper. He put so much welly behind those moves. They looked like they hurt. And you never know how, how much they did or didn't in the ring. No one seems to have had any complaints. But whenever he threw a boot, whenever he threw a clothesline, there was a force, but there was a wildness to it very often. Especially if you do something like a hurricane runner or a drop kick out of nowhere. It wouldn't be the most graceful or pretty, but you knew it hit them. And you knew it, it would provoke a reaction from the crowd. You knew someone had a good clothesline when JBL would be marking out for it in the commentary. Yeah. And JBL, you could tell, loved Luke Harper. JBL, around this time, takes Harper's clothesline, if memory serves correctly. Yeah, it's, it's around this time... Uh, Jerry Lawler's in the ring um, interviewing Bray Wyatt and it looks like he's in danger. And you see JBL sort of creep away from the commentary table to try and uh, help Jerry. And then out of nowhere, Luke Harper just absolutely levers him. Well, that's a hell of a compliment that JBL was willing to take that move. Yeah. Clothesline from Smelly used to call it on commentary. <laughs> but yeah, that he was a really good athlete and he... And so, again, it was always about surprising you with, with the Luke Harper character. And there was always a bit of a um, mystery as to how cle- how in or not he was, you know? It's like when there was the whole Bray Wyatt, Randy Orton, Luke Harper triangle, yes. sort of love triangle going on. It was Harper that was right throughout mm. it all. And to think, you know, we were that close to seeing Luke Harper get to challenge for the world title at WrestleMania. Oh. And like it's tag team with Rowan on paper, it could have been just two big men. But you yeah. look at their match with the Usos. Um, if you just want to look at straight tags, that's the best outing. Um, some of their efforts with New Day as the Bludgeon Brothers as well. 
you could tell he was a he was a better worker than Rowan overall. That's not to say that Rowan was a bad worker, but this no. these are these are as good a match as you're going to get out of someone like Rowan. Something that's you know we're not going to do for star ratings, but something of a four star uh, pl- higher caliber. Meltzer mm. only gave this match four and a quarter stars. I was curious to find out at this point. I definitely would go. If I had to do ratings, I'd go higher than that. I think I, I maybe I would go five. I don't know. I don't. I don't dwell on that element. It's the atmosphere so, at the start. Yeah, it's like, just I... everything. It's everything. It's just it's perfect within its own. It does everything that it's supposed to do in that match. It gets everyone over in the way that they're supposed to get over for future matches. No one looks. None of the Shield look bad in defeat. Just they make the Wyatts look even better. They make very careful. They very carefully lay that out as well. How to? Like... Well, it's in stages, isn't it? Essentially, when it all breaks down, it's that yeah. Ambrose is taken out in some mysterious way that we don't know at that point. You assume either Wyatt trapped him in somewhere, handcuffed him to something, or some various electronic or paraphernalia blew up in Ambrose's face, like he was always doing around this time. So maybe he got himself tied up in the wires or something like that. And so then that makes mm. it three on two. And then at that point, they're already in, in the driver's seat. They're able to stop Roman and, and choke Sam and Seth Rollins through the table. Just to get back to, we're going all over the place. This was also the first real time that we got a showcase of steal the show, burn it down Seth Rollins because he'd always been the heel in the year and a bit before then and this was the time that he's suddenly doing spectacular backflips off of top rope German suplexes that are being set up for him perfectly by uh, Luke Harper that he's able to do flying dives to the outside and he's doing it to get the crowd on his side and he turns to the crowd and gets a monster reaction he probably which is weird because come the end of the year uh, the next Royal Rumble, he's in that absolutely insane triple threat match with Lesnar and Cena. And even though he's the heel in that, he's doing the same sort of stuff because it's Lesnar. He gets away with it. It's yeah, weird. Yeah. Well, he, you kind of have to be like that when you're in there against Lesnar. And it was just, I think it was allowed that yeah. they probably just told Seth for that match, the brakes are off. Do whatever. Do whatever you feel like yeah. doing. You can do whatever you like in this match. Because it's Brock Lesnar, so he's going to do 15 finishing moves anyway. And it's John Cena. So just... They're already, they've already done a warped version of Super Indie Wrestling, so get your Tyler Black boots on and go out there. <laughs> but this was the first time that we kind of saw the Tyler Black Seth Rollins in the WWE, in a WWE ring. Mm. And again, he's got such a great landing base for that from Harper in particular, who we will have known from the indie scene anyway. That German, top rope German suplex. But what's fantastic about that, though, as well, is that he, Seth Rollins hits that huge flurry on him, but... As just as quickly, Harper will snuff it out with a fantastic boss man slam, spinning sidewalk slam. Yeah, he could go at the pace that these guys went at. Like I said, because he was resting that indie pace for so long that would seem incongruous to his size, so he could go. Will you look at his two TNT title matches? Uh in the first one, he he is one. He he is that spark that kicks the Dark Order out of this weird like take jibe at, jibes at Vince sort of doldrums that ma- in like the matter of five minutes they are like the deadliest faction the Dark Order was you know in a mess before they finally were able to define it by Brody Lee that wasn't the plan going in I think they said originally it was going to be Marty Skrull then it was going to be everyone thought it was going to be Hardy yeah I think Marty Hardy was the other plan for I'm it. so glad it wasn't 
I'm so yeah, I mean, glad it was. You know, we're, we're not going to get to see, unfortunately, the Brody Lee, Hangman Page storyline that would have evolved from this. Like, whatever potential storylines we've missed out on is like a tiny drop in the ocean of what a, a wife has lost and what kids have lost. You know, this is nothing. This is nothing and it's not of any significance. It's just what little we can do to to pay tribute to him. It really makes... Oh, I've, t- I've just got that impression of just, just take... It sort of hammers home, just take the opportunities that present themselves. Like, don't... Which he did. Don't... Yeah. And don't leave things to chance is what I'm sort of, like, leaving... Like, Yeah, I mean... I mean, these are utterly unexpected occurrences that you can't really necessarily even draw that many lessons from in life. There's... Yeah. There's qualified ways you can learn one way or the other from this. I just really want to talk about what I knew of this guy, which was a fantastic wrestler who never quite got his due in the WWE, but this match, he still got to be involved in maybe my favourite match of that decade, Even and even then it felt like he'd had a, a disservice done to him. And he's a key factor in throughout this match. I think he plays the role of the disciple brilliantly. Like I said, he's the disciple with a, with a bit more of yeah. a brain to him. than Ro- Rowan is the thoughtless... Rowan is just the masses. Luke Harper is like Bray Wyatt's St. Peter. Like his number one mm. in command guy. When when they've laid out Roman Reigns at the end, and, and like I said, Luke like Roman does the first part. Harper comes in and sort of finishes the job as they see it, and just kneels down and gestures to Wyatt. I hope I have pleased you, my lord, because Rowan Rowan and Harper have been by far the most involved in the match itself. Wyatt has always been one that you feel like. So much of the Bray Wyatt characters, be it this or The Fiend or anything in between, have almost always been let down by actually having to have him wrestle in a weird way. Um, And it's not like you can't have great moments. He has some fantastic bits in this that remind you of what a force he can look like in the ring. When he just throws his whole body at Roman Reigns at the end after Luke Harper comes in and does the sacrificial, which is such a brilliant... I always love that. That spot will never get old. Of someone taking the bump for their teammates, that will never get old. It's annoying that it's like follow the buzzards, really, because he's more of a vulture at times. He's picked yeah, the bones, but he it? also has this sense of he he wrestled the they wrestled their perfect match. They did everything, that, and you needed to in order to beat the shield. You had to beat the shield of their own game. And there was yeah. that moment, you like say after Ambrose and Rollins had been taken out, they copy the shield pose of them. Although, actually, Rowan had gone into the ring, which I think he maybe shouldn't have done. <laughs> because it's, it's supposed to be that they're all standing outside, waiting to, you know, pointing out how screwed you are. And it's always interesting, I always wonder, because obviously you can't cover four sides of the ring. But in a way, the the one that they leave behind is the entrance ramp. So it's like, do you want to run away? Or are you a man? Are you going to take yeah. the beating that's coming to you? Which is what the Shield were, which is what... Whereas when the Shield do it, did it, it was typically the hard cam side. They wouldn't have anyone. Well, maybe that was just hard cam rules then. Maybe it's just me reading more into it than is intended. But um, mm. I, I do always love that. Whenever there was a moment where someone from The Shield had their paybacks a bitch happen to them, which Evolution did to them as well afterwards. Um, But yeah, it's just, it's a wonderful match. It's that sense of... Like I said, they wrestled their perfect match, except for Bray Wyatt and his hubris holds Roman Reigns up and prolongs the sister Abigail. And Roman Reigns is the first person to ever power out of it. And what I love as well is that when he's trying to power out of it, again, this whole thing that 
Bray Wyatt using his whole body or just as a mass of him and just putting as much force into everything. What does he do? Immediately headbutting him in the face. And that is just, it's, no, it's not forearms. Yeah. It's not what it, it is. Headbutting you in the face. <laughs> it's a match where everyone looks like powerful in their own way. Like you had Seth Speed, you had Dean's Chaos, uh, Rowan Body Slam. is one of the body slams he hits in this. Just absolutely looks like it. It just wrecks someone's... I think it's Seth's spine just entirely. Um, Luke doesn't hit his light finisher, uh, sadly. But those big boots and that drop kick... But, and it is... I mean, obviously the problem with the shield sometimes to fans, especially since he was not the one with the indie cred, was that Roman would be put forward as the best of all, like I said, called the leader for the first point. And that, that was always clearly the plan, right down to the fact that he would enter on his own at the start, whereas Rollins and... About this time, a year a year prior, uh, at Elimination Chamber, the Shield took on John Cena, Ryback and Sheamus. And one of the phrases that JBL was throwing around at the time was great individuals just won't be a great team. A great team turns up to defeat this great team. The Shield had always had their set ideology, and it was always about the team and the doing perfect teamwork. Right from their first match, which would be another one, if I have another favourite wrestling match of the decade from the WWE, it might be the TLC, Shield, Daniel Bryan, uh, Kane, Ryback match. And that was essentially them wrestling the perfect match as well with double T. There was always, there's always seemed to be two when there needed to be two or three, when there needs to be three. And that was the same with the Wyatts in this match. And this is the first time where it hasn't done, because their, their, their ideology their ideology is tearing apart a bit. They've already started to... They're already fracturing at the Royal Rumble. Dean Ambrose tried to eliminate Roman Reigns. There's egos finally starting to come into it. Whereas, like I said, the Wyatt family will always be defined by Wyatts. How will this help Wyatt? Whereas the Shield, yeah. it's starting to become Ambrose's thing, and how's this going to help Ambrose? And Reigns is always like... I'm Reigns, so I'm the best. And Seth Rollins is the one that seems to be the closest to trying to keep the the plan together. Hence, them calling him the architect, the idea that he was the brains. And they, um, and they, and and then the irony being that it is Rollins that ends up being the one that turns on them both. Yeah, because it was going to be the, the, the talk amongst my friends at this time because we were so into that into it at this period in terms of this storyline. The whole product actually was pretty tight at this time. Ah, uh, that's that's rose tinted glasses. That's rose tinted glasses. People in 2014 were moaning so much at this point, especially about the Daniel Bryan. Yeah. Morning. Another thing you've got to factor in as well about the whole keeping them as separate entities. This was at a time post the roster split, where Smack there, there was no such thing as a SmackDown roster really at this point. The titles had just been unified. So they, they were on the same shows as well, but they were keeping them separate. Again, another sign of the WWE. When they want to, they can make someone look great. Vince McMahon always treated John Cena very well for the most part because he always wanted to protect John Cena. He clearly wanted to protect the Shield to an extent, and at this point he wanted to protect Bray Wyatt and the Wyatt family. Then when then when they get involved with Cena, that's when it all starts to fall apart. And that's not Cena's fault, that's the booking of Cena's fault. I think, I don't know if it's around this time as well, or if it's... I can never place this moment. But there is a moment where Bray is looking at Triple H in the ring. Um, Triple H has the title at this time. It can't be that. When he just... You know the moment I'm on about where he just strokes 
the title and the crowd lose their Bray Wyatt minds. is so close to being the perfect package as a, as a modern day really interesting character. There's always so much creativity behind it, but it always falls apart. You know, the the there's something that falls it falls apart. With the with the Wyatt character it really was the John Cena feud. Um with the Fiend character it was really the Seth Rollins Hell in a Cell match. Those were the moments that really exposed the limitations of either Wyatt's character or the booking team in general. When they have two conflicting two conflicting you know, why book the match if you can't book a winner? And also, this is proof that you book a team to lose does not hurt that team. What's the next thing that Shield do after this? Destroy the New Age Outlaws and Kane, and then beat the Evolution. And there's no sense that there's like, oh, but it should be the Wyatts. What's so crazy as well is they have a few other rematches on TV. They had a match on Raw, they had a match on main events. And I think they might have had a second Raw match as well. I think overall it, it worked out, I was looking it up on Cage Match, as just six on six that it was um, of these classic lineups, not factoring in future matches with Braun Strowman and, and the like, that it worked out Wyatt Family 3-1. Whereas it really should... I mean, I thought going in that, the, in hindsight, you look at it logically, WrestleMania should have been some wild six-man tornado brawl or something like that. Oh. Maybe not a tornado brawl. Maybe just a rematch. Maybe just a straight up-and-up rematch. And... They could have they could they could have milked this feud for six months and ended it on a losing team splits up. And then you could have had you could have had the shield oh. beat them, and then you have Bray Wyatt go on his own and form a new cult, and Harper and Rowan maybe become a tag team. And then the night after that have Seth Rollins turn on them anyway, or something like that. You never know, but it doesn't matter. That's all fantasy booking and, and, and a moot point. I just want to say that um I love this match. I love I love the sense of triumph and achievement when uh, this is one of my fa- that's just my favorite Bray Wyatt moment when he just suddenly in his hubris he almost was his undoing but he had his disciple there ready to take the, his two disciples there ready to take the bullet on his behalf and he's like and then he just snuffs it out immediately after Rowan's Roman's been the hit for his and Roman looks like such a badass in this whole match if you'd have booked badass Roman Reigns you know people were chanting for him over Batista at the 2014 Rumble and I know what a difference a year makes. But that's another thing for another time. But I just love this yeah. moment. Like, why I thought he could milk it and really enjoy it, but that was his undoing. So then the next opportunity he has, he snuffs it out immediately. Just bod- literally bodies Roman Reigns. Picks him up, Sister Abigail. And as he's pinning him, it's this utter like male, alpha male dominance. He's just sort of grunting at the camera. And he's like, he's angered that it's happened. But at the same time, he's got the thrill of victory with him as well. And then when they they put their gear back on, he puts his Hawaiian shirt back on and his hat, and it's like, we've done our job here, guys. Good job. It, it's kind of like the moment in 300 where they make Xerxes bleed. Because it's like, ah, 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 you do have flaws. I get where you're coming from, but it's kind of the final triumph. Oh, yeah, within this match, but it, it shows Bray is has hubris. There is, there, there is a flaw yeah, yeah. there. So... That has been a brief chat about a great wrestler and from all talk that we've heard, a great man and maybe the best thing that he was a part of. Maybe not. Other people, I know a lot of people love the dog collar match and, and the Dark Order was just the start of something really special he could have done. And he had such nuance to the character. I was loving where he was going with the Colt Cabana character that it was like his best friend. Yeah. But then just when Colt Cabana made his first mistake, it, they, they kind of, especially since I've just watched that documentary about Nexium and 
you know, there are, there are all sorts of weird cults going on all around the place. It's called mm. The Vow. It's good. It's longer than it needs to be. There's another one that was also done. It was a, It's a weird... I mean, read into it. It's crazy. I think that might have been an inspiration for them. But ultimately, like I said, these are just very, very minor, minor, unimportant things in the grand scheme of things. The great man passed away far too early in what's been a very shitty year. And this seems to be like, you know, another hammer hammer blow. But the memories, as wrestling fans, that's all that we know of him for. and, And he's given us plenty in his unfortunately shorter than should have been life and career. That there's going to be plenty of people to watch... The clip that's been shared ad nauseum on Twitter, quite rightly so, of him talking about how he likes to keep stuff for his son and like show his son like all that is just so it's endearing and it is gutting yeah. at the same time. It's, it seems to maybe have hurt like in a way that very few others have hurt. Obviously, because he was too young, but also that he was just a good man. It's similar to like when Owen Hart passed or Eddie Guerrero passed. You know, it was. Um... Sad on a completely different level. We just can't. We, I'm I'm very fortunate that nothing of that equivalence has happened to me or anyone in my family or friends. You, you can't be prepared for it, but you can just try and live a good life for whatever your life is going to be. And that was exactly what John Huber did. And uh, maybe yeah. we can. Well, I, I sort of got a bit existential uh, uh, last week, but yeah, um, you do, don't you? Like, and if. I, well, when I pass, if I'm talked about anywhere near as much as John Huber was, I've done everything. I've done a lot of things right and I've made a lot of people happy. So thank you for listening to us. We'll be back next week with the Monday Night War brainstorm that we planned for this week. And then, I mean, then we're into the new year and five-star matches and matches of the weeks and discussion points and movie pitches and maybe flat-out scripts are going to be written 2020's given us some, you know, moments to not remember. Um, but you can look for the Bray Wyatt. You can look for the Wyatt family versus Shields of this world and life, and just try and dwell and, and think about those for as much as you can. Um, nothing left to say at this point except that my name's Lorcan Mullen, and my name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Thank you for everything you did, John Huber, and I hope that you all have. A great time. Until the next time.